Welcome to the Race and Redemption Podcast. We're here to help white Christians move from questions to change. This is my friend, Susan. She brings her whole heart to this conversation. She has a wealth of experience in cross-cultural relationships in her own family and in her community. And she marries that with the truth of scripture about race and redemption. And this is my friend, Brooke. She has been researching these topics for years within the church, and she's bringing new information that's factual, accurate, and nonpartisan. And that's what the church needs right now. This week, we are back again with Anne Campaign's Justin Gibney. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, we unpacked the ideas behind compassion and conviction and how you engage with politics and race. Well, we're back here with Justin Gibney from Anne Campaign. Thank you for joining us again to dive into some of these very tangible questions as we head into voting season. Um, so we've been asking some of our listeners to share with us some of their questions about how do they navigate this moment? What do they need to do to engage as a Christian? And um, one of the things that we've heard a lot about is how do you think about um, the different kind of levels of uh, government and of candidates that we are considering on the ballot? We're not just going to vote for the president in November or in October for voting early, which I encourage. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> could you talk a little bit about how our system is actually set up and what is the importance or meaning of the local government, the state government, and the national government? Sure. This is an important conversation because sometimes we act like and sometimes the way the media puts it out there is that all, every, your whole public witness is going to be based on yeah. this one vote for president. Yeah. And it's just not true. Now, mind you, this is a very important vote, but there's so many other levels of government that are important. So obviously we have the federal votes, we're voting for the president, you know, the Senate and the House. Those are very important votes, but somewhat distant. And I think it can make people feel like politics don't matter or their vote doesn't matter because those can seem somewhat distant. Now, your vote does matter. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't get me wrong, but it can't. I understand why people would feel like, man, that's so distant. I'm one of you know millions and millions of people who's voting on it. Does this really matter? It does. But I get how you could feel kind of uh, like you want something a little more direct. Mm-hmm. You got state politics. We're talking about governors, you know, uh, your uh, state representatives, your state senators. That's a little closer to home, mm-hmm. right? Uh, these these are votes that, again, there's usually millions of people voting on it, but uh, it's a little closer and you can see and talk to these people a little easier than you would be folks on a federal level. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think we've seen the impact of state policy yes. during the pandemic in yes. a pretty significant yeah. way. So that's, that's a really good note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's real. I mean, you can get in touch with your state representative. You can get in touch with your state senator and the policies that they uh, push forward make a huge deal. Obviously, the policies that the governor, you know, uh, especially when we're almost in a state of emergency, yeah. uh, those policies have a huge impact on what's going on. So every, you know, every level has an impact. The closer you get to home, the more direct that impact is. And when you're mm-hmm. talking about local politics, whether it's your city council, whether it's your uh, county commission, uh, these are very direct yeah. impacts. Judges, sheriff. Mm-hmm. Judges, sheriff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors. Exactly. These have a very direct impact on you and your neighbor. And I, and we kind of urge Christians to focus in more on that, too. Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, when you talk about social justice, it's interesting. I talk to a lot of people who are interested in social justice who talk about it on social media and, you know, they, they protest and all those things are great. But if you ask them about uh, the, who, who the DA is or you ask them about the judges and who they, you know, don't really know as much about that. But those are the people who have discretion. Mm-hmm. So we want to p- change policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you change policy, 
always going to be a certain level of discretion. So you want people of good character, mm-hmm. with kind of the right agenda to be in those positions because they're still going to be making some some decisions. Mm-hmm. That's just how the law it's works. Really it has to be some level of discretion. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about criminal justice, you're usually talking about more of a state and local issue. So there are some things that can happen federally. Mm-hmm. Now we should push for those things to happen federally. But it, the closer you get to home, the more impact you're going to have because most people are not in federal prisons. They're mm-hmm. in state prisons. Mm-hmm. So not local politics allows us sometimes to get some wins and see some change that we don't necessarily get to see as directly on a federal level, mm-hmm. national level. And so I think that's really important. And it has a huge impact on our neighbor. I tell people all the time, if you got a group of five to 10 people and you went to almost every city council meeting, you would have an impact on mm-hmm. those folks there. Mm-hmm. If you guys wore the same shirts and you were organized, <laughs> that's good. That's they huge. would know you were there and they're going to start listening to you because yes. they know you get out in the community and that you're committed. That's yes. smart. Which counts really, yeah. for so much. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's an important way. point. Yeah. So what is your perspective then on voting straight party? I think I hear people saying, you know, what? how is it going to be effective for me to vote Republican here, Democrat here? Uh, you know, all across the board, we need to have one party in to be able to pass things, be able to move things mm. forward. Yeah, I mean, I would not advise people just to assume always that I'm going to just vote one party. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in a, in any certain race, you know, you, there may be, you may want to vote for uh, the Republican or the Democrat for president. But then you get down to a local race or you get down to a congressional race. And these are two different people with two completely different agendas. You know, the Republican in that case may not have the character you want them to have. The Democrat in that case may not have the experience that you want them to have. And so just to vote for those people, just because you're voting for a straight party, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And I think that's part of the problem Mm -hmm. that we've allowed these politicians to kind of say, well, until we control everything, we can't get anything done. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to send a different message. If you can't get anything done, you're not going to be there. Whether Mm -hmm. your party is in, you know, you have all the people in your party in or not. We can't always take what they give us. We dictate that, Mm -hmm. right? I think, and one of the things I always say is we need to see, we need to have respect for our elected officials, but we should see them more as servants than necessarily always as leaders. Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because I, I have so many mentors and friends that are great politicians that have integrity, but at the same time, a lot of politicians read the tea leaves. They're going to go where they're pushed to go. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure that we're doing that pushing rather than just getting somebody in office and leaving them to their own devices. That's a terrible way to do politics. And so I think we need to think through every decision that we make and uh, and not just assume that we should always vote for one party. Mm, I think that's such a great point that we've been sold this narrative that mm-hmm. we have to have mm-hmm. all of the same party to get anything forward. Mm-hmm. Man, that would be dangerous, actually. The reason the country was set up with multiple parties mm-hmm. was to protect against mm-hmm. that. Right, but that's everybody's excuse, though, right? Mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I know I promised this and that, but I couldn't get it done because they didn't give me everything I wanted. Well, you sh- yeah. you got to find a way to do it, mm-hmm. or else we got to find someone else, or we hold the people accountable who were completely being uh, irrational mm-hmm. and not, you yes. know, and trying to make it partisan. We we control that. That's not really their decision to make. Their decision is to get something done. <laughs> Amen. Uh, one of the things that I I really dislike is a lot of our elected officials has become commentators. I mean, mm. we have so many people in the House of Senate that are on Twitter all day. Mm. And it's like we didn't elect you to be. We have commentators. We have great commentators <laughs> that cover this. So we didn't we didn't put you in office to be a commentator. That's good. Get some work done. Mm. Okay, so we just were talking about a two-party system, but we got a lot of questions about third-party options and the idea that voting for a third party is a waste of your vote um, and also wondering why no third-party options have really risen up or become viable. 
Yeah. I mean, historically, we've always had a two-party system from the beginning. Uh, and parties change, their identities change, sometimes the names have changed, mm-hmm. but it's always been a two-party system. Now, I'm not going to say that it, it will always, it will forever be a two-party system. I don't have a problem with people who uh, pursue kind of a third party. Uh, I mean, I, I urge people to check out the Solidarity Party. I think they're doing a great job. I love their agenda. Yeah. I think their agenda's great. Carol has some great stuff coming yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, the, the fact of the matter, though, I think is it is very hard to get a third party up and moving. Right. Um, you know, I, I hope those guys get it done, uh, but it can be very difficult. It's a very heavy lifting. And I'm happy that some people are investigating what that looks like and trying. I don't have a problem with seeing people try. But I think there is an advantage at this very moment to working within the two-party system and creating coalitions that kind of span both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what the end campaign is. We're not really an, a, a new party, but we would like to kind of create a coalition that is in both parties mm-hmm. to say, hey, on certain issues, we're going to put party aside and we're going to support voter rights or we're going to support religious liberty, whether our party is doing it or not. Mm-hmm. That could be a very strong coalition and have a lot of influence on the political process. But I encourage the Solidarity Party. I I hope that they can get done what they Mm -hmm. want to get done. At this moment, I think there's a practical advantage to working within the two parties, Mm -hmm. just not making it your identity like we talked about last episode. Mm -hmm. So another question we received is about the extremism that's happening in both parties. Um, Has this always been the case or is this a more recent thing that the polarization has just continued to increase and increase? How can we create that reform that you're talking about? Yeah, I think I mean, I think there's always been some level of division. I think the partisanship is a little bit different. I think it's a little more partisan. So I've seen statistics that say, you know, where basically people started to say that they wouldn't want their kids to marry somebody that was in a different party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't know like that it's been like that before, yeah. which doesn't mean it hasn't been bad before. Or that you can't be a Christian if you're in this party yeah, or that party. Yeah. And so I think I think that has gotten a little worse. I think we have maybe, you know, as some people have become less religious, they be, they've kind of used politics to f- fill that mm-hmm. void. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what it is. But it's certainly not healthy. Uh, It's certainly not something that we should perpetuate because if you look at parties closely and anybody who's been in politics knows that they're fickle, uh, that the decisions uh, that get made aren't always based on what's the best or what's virtuous. Uh, That doesn't mean that everything's bad either. But it's not something that you would want to pin your public witness on. Mm -hmm. It's not something that should be the master of your social action because you don't really see or control exactly how a lot of these decisions are made. And it's not supposed to inform you. You're supposed to direct it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I mean, that's the worst part where people get in a party and we don't notice it, but our views slowly change on issues. So for conservatives, mm-hmm. I often say, where were you in 2004 when it came to immigration? Most of them were not as far right, right mm-hmm. you know, rightward hardliners mm-hmm. on immigration as they are now because that's not where the party was. But slowly with the rhetoric and all that stuff, they move. I asked my progressive friends that are Christians, where were you on abortion in 2000? Mm-hmm. A lot of them were not as far to the left as they are now. But slowly again, with that rhetoric and all that, you mm-hmm. move and you don't mm-hmm. even know it. Mm-hmm. But the party should not be moving you. Uh, those are those are issues that I think Christian convictions speak very clearly towards. And you should not just be going along with your party. Your party's always, I mean, they pay people to come up with good rhetoric. They pay people to <laughs> yeah, come yeah. up with a good storyline to make you move. But as a Christian, our conviction should be stronger than that. We should be paying more attention uh, and not be so swayed by, by the rhetoric. So how are ways that we can begin to inform the party on the things we care about and try to bring about this change? I think you have to organize. One thing my friend and, and uh, partner in the AND campaign talks about 
is that too often we we see politics as kind of like this individual endeavor. Mm-hmm. But it's not really. I mean, we all have our own vote and we shall all use our own vote. But really, to be effective in politics, you've got to organize. You've got to get a critical mass of people around you to say, hey, we're together. It's not just Justin by itself. We're together and mm-hmm. we're saying something has to change. The Ann campaign thinks, now maybe as God would have it, that there's a critical mass of biblical Christians in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. If we could get them together to say, hey, certain things need to change, that's a powerful and kind of unprecedented coalition that we just, you know, that we haven't seen before and could have a lot of power uh, within a lot of important conversations, again, be it uh, the sanctity of life or uh, immigration and so on. And uh, we think Christians need to put that partisanship aside, especially when it comes to those biblical principles. Amen. Mm-hmm. And we so support the work you guys are doing. It's mm-hmm. awesome. We're totally excited about where that could go. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, we talked a little bit about whole party voting and not wanting to do that. But sometimes we don't really know enough about those candidates, especially, again, at the local level. What are good resources for finding out about these candidates, about their character, about their history? You know, if you go to their websites, you get the rhetoric, you get their mm-hmm. their own narrative that mm-hmm. they've spun. So where where should we look to find the the good information about who we're voting for, especially at the local levels? Yeah, unfortunately, that can be hard. What I advise people to do is try to go to forums, uh, try to mm. go to town halls that they're putting on, okay. try to listen to the debates or host them yourself. So one of the things that Ann Campaign really um, encourages churches to come together with other churches and put together forums where the candidates can have conversations. Awesome. We did that in Chicago. It was one of the biggest forums of the mayoral debate a couple mm. years ago. And that's what Christians should be doing. Because one thing that you see when you get the candidates together, you know, someone might not tell you the negative things about them, but the, the other person may uh. mention that. And you don't want to, you want to frame it to where it doesn't get too ugly. Mm-hmm. But people need to be informed about certain mm-hmm. things, what policies somebody supported that. Right you wouldn't want them to have supported. Hmm. Uh, and so Christians have to be way more active. We, we tell Christians these, we call them our, our faith and politics forums. And we think we want Christians all over the nation to be hosting those. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So someone wrote in and asked the question, when did Christianity become synonymous with the Republican Party? Is maybe that, that's even maybe that's even a biased statement, but maybe that's true. No, I like that. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think I guess in in their opinion, and they yes. didn't say what party they land in, right? You fair know, enough. but yes, I that's mean, fair enough. Can we talk about how that progressed and and how each party is fulfilling and maybe lacking when it comes to the scripture? Sure. Well, I'll tell you from my you know from my faith tradition, it was never synonymous with the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So mm-hmm. I grew up in the church. Uh, my mother's a PK. A g- grandfather <laughs> was a bishop in the Church of Living God, and so all Democrats. Um, mm-hmm. And so I never saw it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in the media, in some instances, it it is played out that way. And I think it probably comes from kind of the moral majority. Hmm. I think when the moral majority came out, uh, when they were at the height of their strength, they were Republican mm-hmm. and everything. They, you know, what they were, they had an alliance with the Republican Party that was so clear and so tight that you couldn't tell the difference between the two. Hmm. Uh, and that's my guess is that's where that came from. You know, a lot of people don't see it that way. I think it's unfortunate that we um, would conflate our faith with a political party. Yes. Um, That we would, you know, that we would say that, you know, you can't be a Christian unless you're a Republican or a Democrat. Because I think when it comes to the Republican Party, there are some areas of compassion that you just don't see. You kind of have this idea of rugged individualism. Um, And I think, number one, it's, you know, it it lacks historical context uh, because, you know, when people don't start off in the same place, it's hard to kind of press that rugged individualism. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lack of compassion for those who historically have been oppressed and have not been treated fairly 
within America. Uh, and I just don't, you know, when it comes to civil rights, when it comes to voter rights, you just don't see the concern that you should see. On the other end, though, even with my, my family being Democrats, um, I see there's a, there's a, there's some error in that, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk about the sanctity of life, I mean, this is a party who went from safe, legal and rare, which I think some people say, OK, well, even if I'm pro-life, that may be reasonable. I get where you're coming from to really, you know, last time I went to the Democratic National Convention, we're talking about um, a celebration of abortion. Yeah. Shout out your abortion and all these other things like it's just not a big deal. Like it's something that's good. Uh, late term abortions and Christians, just like Christians in the Republican Party hadn't really pushed back enough on the lack of compassion. Christians in the Democratic Party have not pushed back on um, just the lack of conviction when it comes to, you know, valuing life mm-hmm. with saying, you know, you know, life begins at conception. And we we don't have to ignore women. We don't have to ignore women's health. Yeah. But you can't act like that baby's not there. Yeah. You can't erase it from your storyline, from your right. narrative. And that's what you see. And I think Christians on both sides need to push back. Again, that doesn't mean that either side is equivalent on any given issue, but both parties in some place devalue human dignity. Mm-hmm. And that's why, they, mm-hmm. you know, we get a lot of questions. Well, if the left is so bad or if the right is so bad, why do you talk about the other side? Because they both have serious issues. Mm-hmm. And, and one example that I use, if, if my right leg has an infection that's a little worse than the infection in my left leg, I'm not going to ignore or the infection in my left. I got to <laughs> yeah. deal with both of them. Yeah, right? that's a good and point. That's, and that's the way that we see it. We're going to address both of them. And I think for Christians to be honest and have real conversations, you have to be able to critique both sides. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we can do a little exercise of that because I think there's a there's some questions about what have been accomplished or not in the last four years. And in particular, some of our listeners who, because this is race and redemption, wondered what has been accomplished Uh, if anything, in terms of progress for people of color. So there were a few questions about, you know, HBCU funding, unemployment progress, criminal justice reform, First Step Act. Uh, Have there been wins that we should acknowledge? And then on the flip side of that, what are the uh, shortcomings that we should also be aware of? Yeah. And I think anybody who listens to the Ann Campaign's uh, Church Politics podcast knows that we give credit where credit is due. Mm. And so we don't we don't feel like uh, this administration is completely void of any achievements. I don't think you have to say that. But again, if we go back to our old conversation, sometimes we feel like if our narrative is going to be perfect, we got to act like the other side has never mm-hmm. done anything, anything well. And so when you talk about the uh, first step, I, I think that was great. Um, when you talk about the money that HBCUs have received, I give credit for that. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I hope I'm on record saying that that we appreciate those steps being taken. Mm-hmm. But then there are other conversations that you have to have as well. You got to talk about the rhetoric and how we talk about people from other countries, mm-hmm. how we talk about uh, immigrants, uh, how we, you know, how what consideration do we give to, to folks at the border? These are things that you don't have to ignore either. Um, and, you know, again, we as Christians have to have, be able to appreciate nuance. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to say it's not all or nothing at all times, but I have to be vigilant and I have to weigh it to see, you know, uh, which side it comes out on. And so there's been good and bad. Uh, I think this administration could have done a lot better when it comes to how you talk about people, Mm -hmm. um, how you support the poor. I think, you know, when we talk about some of the tax cuts, are those responsible? Are those cutting into the provisions for the poor? These are conversations we have to have now. The end campaign doesn't tell people who to vote for. We have a um, 2020 uh, election statement 
where we mentioned the administration, not always in the, in the in the best of terms, but we think it was fair. And we wanted to make a statement that was, we weren't going to try too hard to make everything equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did critique both conservatives and progressives in the best way that we could. Um, and so that's, that's really how we see it. Give credit where credit's due. And when there's something wanting, you need to point that out as well. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, and I, I think it's a good point that, you know, some of the progress that we may have seen is not just due to a a person, it's due to a, an administration, right? There's an entire um, collection of people who've worked on this legislation and getting this passed. So mm-hmm. um, there has been some progress that we should acknowledge, yeah, and, but there's a lot further to go. Yeah. And, the, and, you know, and you don't empower your opponent and, you know, make them invincible by admitting that they might have done something right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we we just have to get past that to, you know, just be honest. Yeah. If it was helpful, then it was helpful. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's still a lot of other conversations we might have to have that, you know, of things that weren't helpful to, uh, you know, people in the inner city or whatever. But, but be honest about it, and I think you'll have more credibility within the, the, the public discourse. Yeah. yeah. I'm thankful to hear you say that because I think that's something I see a lot of people struggling with. And even I have struggled with myself to see the great strides that have been taken um, with abortion and some of the things that you guys just mentioned, mm-hmm. but then turning around and reading the Twitter that's coming out yeah. and and seeing things that were very hurtful and, and unhelpful um, and trying to find a way to talk about it. I appreciate you saying that we can we can say yes these great things have happened but also we can do a lot better over yeah. here and this is this has set us back. And a, a lot of I think what the desire for improvement in is if I can say that kindly um or <laughs> the frustration has been on the flip side is not the what but the how. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of where we were talking, you know, in our last episode about civility. Um that is the part that hurts our Christian witness so badly. Mm-hmm. And I, I, because I love the numbers, we're going to throw out a few. Um, but one of the things that we have tracked in some studies we've done on the diversity of the church um, is for specifically Black Christians. When Trump was elected and when we saw the statistic that 81% of white evangelicals voted for President Trump, many, many of our Black brothers and sisters saw that as a complete betrayal. And I think, and I just want our listeners to know that fact because mm-hmm. I think that surprised me how personal that was um, when we hear it in uh, in research. And I think what we're talking about is not the what, but the how. Yeah, that's right. And I would point out to that, you know, a lot of people would say, well, look at Hillary Clinton. She wasn't perfect. And that's mm-hmm. why. And that may be true. I had some serious issues with Hillary Clinton. But Hillary Clinton wasn't in the Republican primary. You had other people mm-hmm. that you could have voted for who weren't using that language who were talking about people in a better way, who wouldn't have empowered people on the kind of white supremacist uh, uh, right, who in the ways that this administration has and and not, you know, in refusing to kind of say, no, you're wrong. I don't want your support. Those are things that never happened. And there were people in that primary, Rubio, Christie and others who weren't doing that, who weren't saying things like that, Bush and others who weren't going to take it to that extreme. But a lot of uh, a lot of white evangelicals voted in the primary for this person. And not only that, after you vote for him, you defend him. You don't say, man, I voted, but I'm going to hold him accountable for saying that. You say, well, you know, he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. No, you got to speak out and not just defend what somebody is saying. 
I think that's I think that's a huge problem that that people uh, have. The other thing is you have to look at it historically where at one point character mattered, right? We used mm-hmm. to say character matters. You know, um, we we care about those issues, but then all of a sudden now it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of African Americans, we always suspected that it might have been pretext. That you're just saying that because it works for your argument right now mm-hmm. because you don't like Bill Clinton or whoever it was. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to be that it was confirmation that that was pretext. That it was just. Circumstance was just for that circumstance. And when those circumstances changed and they needed somebody to defend them that was a little more abrasive, then they were okay with the things that they said they weren't okay with mm-hmm. uh, earlier on. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think that filters through and that comes back around and really hurts the witness of the church. Um, and this week at, at Barna, we put out a statistic of some research that we've been tracking um, on people's motivation to engage with issues of racial injustice. And you would think that in 2020, um, we've had a lot of movement. And very sadly, the the level of motivation from 2019 to 2020 amongst white, self-identified, to be fair, people who call themselves Christian, uh, self-identified Christians has dropped. And they're, those who say that they are unmotivated to address it has almost doubled. That shocks me. That is horrifying, honestly. <laughs> Um, and so again, I want to emphasize, these are people who say I'm a Christian. And I think we've seen the party kind of pander to, oh yeah, Christians, we love you. We want you to vote. And that isn't always who we're actually talking to. We're not talking to church going Christians or people who really love the Lord. Um, but it is a really hard reality. And I think our politics are a part of that. Hmm. And those numbers, once again, really discourage a lot of, you know, uh, black Christians, Hispanic Christians who, who, who do have a heart for redemption or reconciliation, however you want to put it, it can really uh, just just be disheartening. And, um, you know, it's hard, you know, it's it's it shouldn't be defended. Um, but but we also can't give up on each other. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's a hard mm-hmm. thing to say with knowing all the suffering that's going on in these communities. We still it's almost part of discipleship mm-hmm. to still make sure that there is some hope and aspiration in what you do. Yeah, uh, there are some. I think yeah. it's more than almost part. I think it really is. I mean, yeah. this, is a, this discipleship is a discipleship issue. issue. It really yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. And I think what shocks me when I hear that number from you is that's not what I'm seeing yeah. as I sit around the table with people. With yeah. As as I'm sitting people in circles in with yeah. people. Mm-hmm. That, and yes, I like that you differentiated that maybe these people aren't really practicing Christians. They're cultural Christians because the practicing Christians that I'm engaging with are being moved. So it's good to understand that there's this I think this division that's starting to happen, even within people that say that they're Christians, yes. which is kind of a weeding out, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, even with the, our new prayer and action justice initiative, mm-hmm. again, we've put together really a unprecedented coalition of, of, of groups. I mean, from the, you know, National Association of Evangelicals mm-hmm. to World Relief and uh, Prison Fellowship mm-hmm. uh, to the uh, Church of God in Christ, which is one of the largest mm-hmm. uh, black denominations. So I do see some change. I want, I want, I do want to give people that encouragement to say, yeah, the statistics are the statistics. But on the ground, I do see some change. Look, mm-hmm. everybody's not going to come with us. Everybody's mm-hmm. not going to have the heart uh, to change and to do things differently. But we have to keep trying and we can't give up on on one another because there are a lot of people that are seeing it differently and trying to mm-hmm. change. 
So in our last episode, we talked about Justin's new book, Compassion and Conviction. I want to encourage all of you to go check that out. Another resource is the Church Politics podcast that Michael and Justin put out. It's a great resource. And Justin, you talked about the initiative. Do you want to just jump on that for just a second? Yeah, sure. So uh, during the crisis, when kind of the whole world was forced to look at the racialized violence that was going on in our society, Uh, the AND campaign put out a statement on racialized violence and really applying biblical principles uh, to the issue and saying why Christians should be concerned about this and why Christians couldn't just sit around and be inactive. That Mm -hmm. was unfaithful to to just sit around and do nothing about it, uh, to to be okay with the status quo. After we did that, you know, some faith leaders came to us like, man, we love how you guys articulated that. Is there something, you know, what, what can we do? We kept getting questions. What can we do? What can people do to get involved? And eventually we just say, you know what, let's put together a coalition, again, an unprecedented coalition to so people know what where Christians should stand when it comes to racial justice. Mm-hmm. This is no time for us to be ambiguous about it. It's no time for equivocation. The church needs to step up. Anytime something like this happens, people say, well, where's the church? Mm-hmm. Right. That's always the question that you get, which some way in, in a way is almost flattering to say, OK, they expect us to be doing something or do they really not expect us? Right. Mm-hmm. It's like your principles tell mm-hmm. me that you should be doing something about it. You're your inaction tells me something different. Um, and so I think we have to answer the call. You know, too often we resign ourselves to just talking about how we have a problem with how other other groups do justice. So you, people have a problem with Black Lives Matter. People have a problem with other groups. But the reason that those groups had to step up is because there was a void left by the church yeah. where the church Amen. wasn't doing it. Amen. So I always say that the church, the best answer to seeing what you may think are distorted versions of justice is not to run away from the conversation <laughs> of justice. It's to do it better. That's okay. It's to show people a better example. And that's exactly what the um, Prayer and Action Justice Initiative is mm-hmm. trying to do. We're trying to get criminal justice reform in different localities. We're trying to galvanize people on a national level, but on a local level, really get some policy change. And when we talked about reconciliation or redemption, we really want to see policy change because that's where that conversation, you know, that's where kind of the rubber meets the road. But then we also want to make sure that a lot of these churches in low-income areas have funding. Mm-hmm. And so we have the Churches Helping Churches Initiative. Uh, we started that during the crisis. We raised $1.3 million for a small, low-income churches. But we want to keep that going because in every city, in these low-income areas that are hit the hardest mm-hmm. by brutality mm-hmm. and the problems in the criminal justice system, the churches there are the pillars of yes. that community. And I think Christians can do so much more to support those churches. Yes. And in supporting those churches, you're supporting those communities. Right, yes. And so here in Atlanta and other places, and, and hopefully I can call on you guys and maybe to get you involved too. Yeah. We want to make sure that we're showing that support and getting some of that policy change because that's where the redemption and, and reconciliation mm-hmm. lies. These are such tangible ways to help us move from questions to change. And I want to encourage all of you guys to follow In Campaign on social media, go to their website for um, up-to-date information on how you can get involved in the kind of things Justin's been talking about. So Justin, thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate you. I enjoyed it, ladies. Thanks for having me. joining us today for the Race and Redemption podcast. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts and continue the conversation with us on Instagram at Race and Redemption. This episode was produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.